Sounds different. Huh. This, this is Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Just getting started, really, in this hour with our guest, uh, Shamari Show Wills. I'm talking about his book, Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. Uh, before we get straight away into his text, um, we've been talking about uh, a dialogue we had on this program yesterday about what it means to be getting the bag in 2023 and beyond and who gets exploited in the process. And uh, just, uh, again, a rich conversation yesterday about getting the bag and here we come today with this conversation that was already on the schedule uh about uh the first um uh, six uh, african-americans who became millionaires in this country we'll get into that in just a second but you said something a moment ago um show that got my attention and that is this idea that those who you write about in your book we'll get to that again momentarily uh, these black folk who became uh, millionaires uh, still lived in the black community so their proximity they saw black people every day they they, they, they weren't disconnected from it. These days, these 35,000 plus millionaires that exist in black America and the uh, handful of black billionaires that exist in black America, what happens these days is really the exact opposite, right? You get the bag and you move out to the vanilla suburbs to get away from these Negroes. You want to get away from all the stuff that you've had to, to navigate on your way to the top. Uh, but that's very different than the narrative of these uh, first six millionaires that we'll talk about as we move through this hour. Your take on that and what that means, if anything. Well, you know, I think it, traditionally when you look at the history of black folks, um, you know, the millionaire class, the elite class never really separated itself mm-hmm. as it did for, you know, the white community. Uh, and that goes all the way up from, you know, the 1800s all the way up until the 1970s. Um, so that wasn't part of our tradition to, you know, get the bag, so to speak, and to try to move up to the nicest, so-called nicest part of town. And, you know, that really kept the resources very close to where the problems were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as things have changed and, you know, folks, you know, very understandably, you know, they want to live in the best neighborhoods with the best schools, so on and so forth. And, you know, they tend to move not necessarily in the black community, but out, outside of the black community to the, you know, 1% neighborhoods. Um, they may be very well, uh, well aware of the problems in the black community, but they're not experiencing them and seeing them on a day-to-day basis. A lot of these folks would, uh, were very wealthy, but, you know, some days they would walk to work instead of taking their horse and carriage and kind of just, Mm-hmm. look around and see what's going on in the black community. And, you know, that's not something, you know, that happens as much. And, that, and now that's not to say that there aren't folks like, you know, uh, Robert Smith and, you know, Byron Allen and Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry, who are, you know, doing great work. But, you know, in general, your average black millionaire, black billionaire is less likely to live in a black neighborhood than they were uh, back in the day. And I just think, you know, sometimes if you're not seeing the problems and experiencing them and having people come to your front door with the problems, yeah, um, that's a barrier to those resources being deployed, you know, to solve those problems. Yeah. Um, let me let me. There, there are two things that came to my mind. A show while you were talking and we'll get in again, get into your book. The first thing that came to my mind was that we are. Uh, this this program is nationally syndicated, but we're obviously flagshipped in Los Angeles uh, in Lamert Park, as I say at the top of this program every day, live from Lamert Park. Um, and Lamert Park, as you know, is is a, is adjacent to uh, a very wealthy black enclave. Uh, there are really two black enclaves in this country that have alternated uh, for years now as number one and number two for the wealthiest black enclaves in the nation. There is this area adjacent to this studio. Baldwin Hills, 
uh, Ladera Heights, Baldwin Vista, uh, View Park. Mm-hmm. This enclave here in Southern California uh, for years, again, has alternated with uh, Prince George's County in Maryland as the number one and number two wealthiest black enclaves in the country. One year it's this area, one year it's Prince George's County. But in Prince George's County uh, and, in again, the area of Baldwin Hills, uh, uh, View Park, Ladera Heights, uh, this area has uh, a lot of black wealth in it. I, I raise that because if you drive um, um, through this particular area, from time to time you'll see these billboards. I saw one the other day. There are these billboards show that say, Welcome to the Black Beverly Hills. Welcome right. to the Black Beverly Hills. And those who are listening right now in the L.A. area know exactly of what I speak because they've seen these billboards as well. Uh, and every time I see that billboard or see one of those billboards, I kind of cringe. And I, and I don't know what to think of that. On the one hand, I get what the producers of this message are saying. Welcome to the Black Beverly Hills. On the other hand, I don't like this notion that we frame this particular enclave as the black Beverly Hills. Why can't we just be who we are, right? But this framing of, of your being invited uh, or welcome to the black Beverly Hills just just annoys me from time to time. Uh, and I thought about that while you were talking about, you know, what black folk do when they get money. So if, if you're black and you still decide to stay over here, then you're living in, in Ladera Heights. You're living in, in, in Baldwin Hills. You're living in View Park. You're not living in the black Beverly Hills. Uh, they would never call themselves the white, you know, they would never call themselves the white Ladera Heights, the white View Park, the white Baldwin Hills. So I thought about that. It's just something that I just wanted to put out there because it just, it annoys me. And when you when you mentioned it, my mind sort of went there. The second thing I thought about, though, while you were talking a show is the following, that and you 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 uh, listed a few names. Most of, and I'm trying to think of one who really doesn't fit into this, and I can't think of one off the top of my head. But most of these black folk who become millionaires, certainly those who become billionaires, derive a lot of their capital. They make a lot of their money, if not most or all of it, from the black community. Um, Bob Johnson became a billionaire off of black entertainment television watched by black folk. Tyler Perry became a billionaire off of movies that were supported by black folk. I could do this all day long if I had the time. You take my point. That so often these black millionaires and black billionaires make their money off the black community, which takes us full circle back at that point earlier show of whether or not they have a particular responsibility to this community, not just to pick up the bag and run away or not to be uh, connected to building black infrastructure. Is there is there an argument to be made that they do, in fact, have a particular responsibility to the community that enrich them in the first place? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think they do, you know, and unfortunately, I think that will become clear, clear as time goes on. You know, I think, uh, you know, we're coming off of the era from 2008 to 2016 where, you know, black folks were feeling really good. We were feeling like there was a lot of progress, Um, you know, and that kind of, you know, those good feelings and the progress it was made kind of papered over some of the problems that were still there. Um, You know, and I think we're entering into an era not just where those problems are starting to bubble up, but we have folks that are, you know, like, you know, Ron DeSantis, who are, you know, in my opinion, fomenting white supremacy and, mm-hmm. you know, directly trying to, to attack black people. So I think as time goes on, it's going to be harder and harder to pretend like working around the margins is okay. Um, you know, I think 
you know, there was a time where it's like, oh, you know, I'm going to do a little bit here, a little bit there, you know, and, you know, send out a press release. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I've done my part. Yeah. But I just think we're going to enter into I think we're entering into a time where it's just going to be very, very clear, um, you know, that those who have the resources to help our community, they really it's 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 really going to become nearly existential. Uh, whether they get involved or not. Mm, I take your point. Let me move from that now um, to the book, Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. Um, I know the answer to this question, but I want the audience to hear the answer. So uh, there's, a, there's a familial connection for you, of course. But tell me about the backstory of, uh, of why uh, researching uh, this text uh, was on your on your on your bucket list. I, I'm always fascinated by the backstory, what motivates people to do what they do uh, creatively. So, so, so tell me why um, this this project became of interest to you, a show. You know, it was really I was in journalism school at the time that the project occurred to me uh, to do. And I was also working for a uh, Caribbean newspaper in New York, the New York Carib News. Uh-huh. And um they sent me to uh, Jamaica uh, for the 50th anniversary of the, of the country, which I think it's the 60th anniversary ne- this, this week or something. So I think it's almost exactly 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went there, you know, everybody's like, you got to go to this place called Devon House. They have amazing ice cream. And so I get there and it's this big Victorian mansion surrounded by palm trees with a little ice cream shop on it. And I didn't try the ice cream. I I wanted to know about the mansion. And so they took me through the mansion and it happened to belong to the first black millionaire in Jamaica. This guy named George DeBille Um, had an amazing story. This guy was working on a ship um, in the, in the, in the 1820s in Jamaica, the ship crashed. Uh, Luckily he was a strong swimmer. And he swam to the shore, which happened to be the coast of Venezuela. Uh, and he became, he found a gold mine uh, and ended up taking control of that abandoned gold mine and becoming, you know, a millionaire. Uh, and he had this great rivalry with the royal family. They actually built a road that uh, went around his house so they didn't have to look at his house when they were coming and going in Jamaica. And I said, wow, you know, these this is an incredible story. And I wondered if there were more stories like that out there. And I just think that combined with, you know, having a consciousness of media uh, and in the way that black poverty is um, simplified, you know, to kind of make black people seem uh, helpless uh, and uh, impotent. uh, I wanted to see if I could find stories about um, incredible individuals in America who had overcome you know, the, the odds to become, you know, some of our earliest titans of industry. And that's where I started my research. And, you know, I ended up finding not one, not two, but, you know, half a dozen millionaires who all had, you know, incredible stories and contributed to the country in, you know, amazing ways. Yep. And tell me, um, I mentioned the familial connection. Tell me about your great, great, great grandfather. So he was he, my great, great, great uncle. Uh, his, his name was, uh, John Mott Drew. Um, he was the son of a slave. My fourth great grandfather, Napoleon, uh, Bonaparte Drew, uh, who was the first black man to own, uh, property in Powhatan, Virginia in 1867, shortly after he was liberated. Uh, he actually ended up selling that land and giving some of the money to his sons. My 
third great grandfather and my uh, third great uncle, uh, John Mott Drew. John Mott Drew took some of that money and he started a trolley line in Darby and uh, Scarsdale, Pennsylvania, which he later sold in what became SEPTA. Uh, and he took some of that money and invested in the stock market and, you know, kind of hit it big before the crash uh, and became a millionaire. Um, and, you know, he ended up owning a Negro League baseball team and retiring, you know, shortly after the market crashed. Um, you know, but he was able, you know, to help folks in my family for generations, you know, go to college, own property, so on and so forth. And, you know, I just saw the way in which it impacted, you know, my family's life. You know, my grandmother was able to uh, get her Ph.D. from the Harvard from Harvard in the 1950s as a black woman, uh, you know, because of the opportunities that, um, you know, my ancestors had, you know, set up for her. So that was my, you know, connection um, and wanting to tell that story and also dig into the story and learn more uh, and flesh it out. Yep. What, what's, what, what's, what's it mean? What's it feel like when you do the research and discover that kind of backstory in your personal family uh, history, that you're a part of that kind of lineage? Particularly, I mean, I'm, I'm still laughing at SEPTA. Everybody knows SEPTA back east. So uh, but, but that's, a part of your, that's a part of your family heritage. What, how, how, does that, how do you process that when you do the research and come across that story? Well, it's interesting because I never knew that my great uncle Johnny uh, Drew was a, a millionaire. I knew was, he had money, you right. know, that was always known. Um, but I never knew he had a millionaire because my mom, he was a millionaire. My mom would talk about him all the time and how much pride that they had. That she, that, you know, he owned the a local Negro League baseball team and his mm -hmm. brother, my uh, great, great grandfather owned a ice house, an ice cream shop. Uh, and just how much, you know, they love that their family owned these two institutions, the ice cream shop and the baseball team. And, you know, the way they used to help people and, you know, the way they, you know, sent their kids to college and the great grandkids to college. And, you know, I knew that, you know, there was wealth there, but I wasn't aware until I started talking to some relatives and digging into it. It's like, oh, my God, these, they actually, uh, you know, John Drew actually was a millionaire. So, and, you know, just digging into, uh, you know, uh, his life, you know, which I didn't get to talk about as much as I would have hoped in the book. But just, yeah. you know, the drama with the Negro League baseball team and investing and, you know, he had to get a white stockbroker to buy stocks because black people uh, didn't have the access back then. Mm -hmm. um, and just getting into the details of his life and, you know, how hard he worked, you know, his first trolley bus before he sold it to SEPTA, he drove the actual bus. He drove the bus for years before, mm. you know, he got from behind the wheel. Yeah. So it was really, really thrilling to kind of learn about his life and a little bit of my own history. I can only imagine. Between the years of 1830 and 1927, uh, as the last generation of black folk born into slavery was reaching maturity, a small group of uh, smart, tenacious, and daring men and women broke new ground to attain the highest levels of financial success. Their stories are told in this book, Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. The author of that book is Shomari Wills, our guest right now on Tavis Smart. Our guest in this hour is Shomari Show Wills, author of the book, Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. And now I want to move straight away into some of the persons on that list and uh, give show an opportunity to just download us uh, on some of these persons. And uh, I love, as I'm sure you do as well, uh, learning new black history. This book kind of uh, reminds me of, of uh, the Hidden Figures uh, movie and, and, and book. 
uh, because I just I love learning about stuff I otherwise didn't know. I love being uh, introduced to people whose stories I didn't know. And this book um, does just that. Uh, we, we knew that uh, somebody black had money before Oprah and Jay-Z and Beyonce, <laughs> but it's nice to know who those persons were by name. Uh, and that's what show Wills brings us courtesy of, uh, of his, of his text. Um, so we all know uh, the story. We all know the story of Madam CJ Walker. Most of us do. Madam CJ Walker, who was regarded as the first uh, uh, female black millionaire. She earned that nickname, the first female black millionaire. So most of us know the story uh, of Madam C.J. Walker. Maybe we'll get to that, but I don't want to start with that because, again, we know a little bit about that. I want to bring you some stuff that you ain't never heard of. Uh, let me start with with, uh, with Mary Ellen Pleasant, um, who used her gold rush wealth to further the cause of uh, the abolitionist John Brown. Um, show you might appreciate this. Um, I was thinking the other day uh, about my, my late uh, friend Dick Gregory, the, the famed comedian. We all know Dick Gregory. So Dick Gregory and I were in, uh, where were we? We were in Memphis, Tennessee one night. And I was saying to Dick Gregory, who was a friend of Dr. King, that to my mind, Dr. King is the greatest American we have ever produced. That's my assessment, as this audience knows. And Dick Gregory said, I'm not so sure, Tavis. I said, well, who you got? If you ain't got Dr. King, who you got? And this Negro said, John Brown. <laughs> and we, 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 we argued for an hour and a half about John Brown versus MLK. I'll never forget that, that fight, that debate. As long as I live. But I said MLK. He said John Brown. Here comes Mary Ellen Pleasant, who used to gain her gold rush wealth to further the cause of the abolitionist, John Brown. So tell me, uh, show, about Mary Ellen Pleasant. Well, you know, one thing that's reported uh, that W.E.B. Du Bois said about Mary Ellen Pleasant is that if she had been a white man, she would have been president, mm. which is, you know, high praise from the great W.E.B. Du Bois. Oh, yeah. So. She was born um, during slavery. Uh, she was free, you know, supposedly. She was born in Philadelphia, which was a non-slave state. And her father sent her to Nantucket, uh, which is one of only two places that had uh, schools for black children during slavery. Um, you know, the island of Nantucket in Massachusetts. The white family that was supposed to be looking after for her there actually kept the money that her father sent and put her to work. Uh, so she grew up working in this white family's general store with no education, uh, no formal education. And, you know, she basically educated herself, you know, by keeping the books uh, in the general store. She learned how to write and do math. And she learned about business by working in a general store, but also because Nantucket was uh, in the middle of a whaling boom at the time she was growing up. Think Moby Dick. Um, and, you know, you had all this tremendous wealth being produced by uh, whaling. And there were even black whalers uh, who were making a lot of money. So she grew up in a boom town. Um, she ended up leaving Nantucket, you know, right after she became an adult and moving to Boston. Uh, and she married a uh, Cuban American abolitionist and businessman uh, who was very, very rich. Uh, he died a couple years into her marriage and uh, left her, you know, you know, a significant amount of money. Um, she took that money and she moved to San Francisco during the gold rush. Um, and she started investing it. Uh, she invested in silver. She invested in real estate. Uh, she had a uh, money lending business. She had one of her first businesses was a laundromat because it was very hard to wash your clothes back in the 1840s and 18, 1850s during the gold rush. Mm -hmm. uh, and you had all these miners with tobacco stains and 
you know, dust and silicon in the shirt. So, you know, it was a very lucrative business. So she went out to San Francisco, started a bunch of businesses out there. Uh, just every business she seemed to start, seemed to just basically blow up. Uh, and before she knew it, you know, she was a millionaire in, you know, the late 1850s, early 1860s. And she took uh, a significant portion of her fortune and she tried to find John Brown. You know, she had heard uh, about him after the bleeding Kansas, you know, war or skirmish, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, where you had a civil war over slavery in Kansas. And, you know, she had heard about him. And so she went to look for him. She actually found him with a uh, free black in a free black community in Canada that was hosting him for a speech. And, you know, she gave him, you know, a significant amount of her money. Um, and, you know, he used that money, of course, to fund the raid at Harper's Ferry, which many, mm-hmm. you know, historians believe is what, you know, kind of tipped us into the Civil War and the abolition of slavery. Um, and, you know, nobody knew that she did it for years. Uh, she kept it secret uh, because, you know, we all know about the secrets, the secret six, which was the group of uh, um, funders, white funders of John Brown, who the government tried to hunt down. You know, and there were talks of executing them or confiscating their wealth. But these were all white men. And she was John Brown's seventh funder as a black woman. Mm. So you can only imagine what would have happened if they found her. So she actually, you know, laid low, you know, during the entire period of the Civil War. She stayed in a uh, Union general's house and as a, you know, basically undercover as a maid during the entire Civil War, you know, just every day scared they were going to find her, that she was the one that gave John Brown all that money. Mm. Um, And then after the Civil War, you know, she was active in, you know, uh, San Francisco for years. Uh, She desegregated the trolley. Um, You know, uh, one of the first uh, black black folks to work on the trolley in San Francisco, I believe actually the first, was uh, Maya Angelou. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of o- opened that door that uh, Maya Angelou ended up walking through. She fought for divorce rights for women. Uh, you know, she fought for the rights of blacks to testify in court, which is something that uh, we didn't have. And she just spent the rest of her life just funding causes and trying to find black folks jobs and investing in black businesses. And she was just really, you know, a giant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, she you know, died right before the great earthquake um, in um, in the early 1900s in San Francisco. And so, you know, some people think that earthquake was her spirit. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, so she was just an amazing person. And, you know, you know, you can kind of see why W.E.B. Du Bois thought she would have been president if she was a white man. No, no question about it. Uh, and it's just it's amazing to hear you retell the story. It's told in greater detail, of course, in the book black fortunes but i love hearing that story of this black woman who funded uh, john brown's raid at harper's ferry uh i bet you didn't know that and now you do i wonder if nick i wonder if dick gregory knew that i would have used that argument in my in my debate with him <laughs> about john brown versus him okay i would say brother dick john brown was funded by a sister named mary ellen pleasant uh, i digress on that point what is fascinating for me which we're talking about when we come forward with our, our guest in our shomari show wills author of the book Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. What's fascinating is I look at this list, and I I, I, I saw this last night, of course, and saw it actually prior to last night, reading the book and and preparing for our conversation, going through the text. But of these six, four are black women. 
The first six black millionaires, those who escaped slavery and became millionaires, four of the six are African-American women. There's a whole lot of commentary that we could offer about that, and we'll offer some of that commentary when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. 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 That's who. The conversation continues right now. We continue our conversation with Shomari Show-Wills, author of the book Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. We were just talking about Mary Ellen Pleasant. Oh, before I do that, before I get back to this conversation, I um, want to mention that tomorrow at the top of our third hour, is that right, J.D.? Yeah, tomorrow top of our third hour, um, our guest is uh, Stephen Reed. Stephen Reed is the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama. All I got to say is Montgomery, and uh, I'm sure you, you're grinning already and laughing. Everybody has seen this <laughs> this videotape that has gone viral of this beatdown that these white supremacists took in Montgomery at that dock. Uh, and uh, we were, we were, a, a show was talking earlier about, um, about a brother who, uh, whose ship wrecked in Jamaica. Uh, and he was able to, he, he was a good swimmer. Uh, and I've seen so many memes about this brother who jumped in the water at, at, at the, at the point of that beat down in Montgomery. I love the names. I saw one, they called that brother, uh, what's one? I called him, I saw one, Swimmy Hendrix, not Jimmy Hendrix, but Swimmy Hendrix. I saw, what did I see? Um, uh, Michael B. Phelps, <laughs> Michael B. Phelps. I saw Scuba Gooding Jr., Scuba Gooding Jr. Uh, the memes are hilarious to me. Uh, but it was no laughing matter. Uh, but everybody has something to say about this beat down that these white supremacists took uh, in Montgomery on that dock when this one black brother asked the white folk to move their boat so that the, the ship could come in. And all hell broke loose, as you know. Uh, if you've not seen that videotape, I don't know where you are because it is everywhere. Uh, the mayor of that city, Montgomery, who's in the middle of all this, Stephen Reed, is our guest tomorrow at the top of our three. You don't want to miss that conversation. Uh, we'll talk to him then. But we're continuing now with uh, Shomari Wills uh, talking about his book, uh, Black Fortunes. The book is um, it's a it's a it's a little known chapter in the nation's history. Um, it's a blend then, if you will, of hidden figures, Titan and the tycoons, because the book Black Fortunes illuminates the birth of a black business uh, titans in this country and the emergence, of course, of a black marketplace. It's a story that most of us don't know, and I'm, I'm delighted to have a show on to talk about it. So I'm looking at my clock here. We'll, we'll start this. We have to continue when we come forward. But I am fascinated. As I said, uh, there are four women on this list. I am fascinated and tickled, frankly, by the story of Hannah Elias. Why don't you start telling me the story? I may have to jump in at one point uh, and pause and continue. But tell me about Hannah Elias. Uh, so Hannah Elias um you know, she was a uh, millionaire, uh, you know, who probably her most notable achievement was she was one of the early investors that helped flip Harlem and make it black. Mm -hmm. But uh, the way she got her money was even more interesting. Uh, you know, she was the mistress of a white millionaire, uh, a big glass manufacturer in New York. And, you know, he was uh, basically giving her money you know, on, um, you know, sort of on the low, so to speak. And, you know, she was investing in real estate, you know, and getting wealthy herself. And, you know, this kind of affair that he was having with her um, came, you know, came into the public eye when another guy who happened to also be in love with her and was stalking her um, tried to track down her white lover and kill him. And he ended up killing the city planner of New York, basically, uh, because, you know, they had a 
resemblance. So he came up behind him and shot him. And, you know, this became a huge scandal, this huge public official in New York getting murdered. And then finding out it was because of this black woman that had all this money. Um, and, you know, so her life became a scandal. And, you know, and, you know, you know, from about 1908 to 1913, you know, she was, you know, just constantly written about in the New York papers and the New York tabloids. Uh, and she lived in this mansion uh, right next to Central Park that was just, you know, just decked out. You know, she had a fascination with Cleopatra and, you know, the whole, uh, the, you know, the whole house looked like, a, you know, Egyptian palace. Um, let me let me and, let me know, let me jump in right quick. I, I knew I was have to do this. Uh, hold that thought. I want to I want to uh, allow you to continue and to finish the story of Hannah Elias. Um, I, I, the jokes are flying in my head. Right. Um, if you're going to be a mistress, <laughs> if you're going to be a mistress, uh, then be like Hannah Elias. I, I shouldn't have said that. I digress. We'll continue when we come forward on Tavis Smile. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tap is smiling. Smiley. Continues when we come forward. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tab is smiling. Smiling. I've only got about three minutes left. Three minutes left uh, show in this conversation. I want to finish up to the extent we can. Uh, finish top lining the story about Hannah Elias. Uh, finish. Finish. Tell me a little bit more about her, right quick. Yeah, you know, so she ended up, you know, being hated. You know, people would gather outside of her house, you know, mostly white folks and throw bottles at the windows and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, to that point, it's, it's interesting. She had been a self-hating black person and she had been investing in early skin bleaching creams and, you know, hair straighteners. Uh, and the hate that she encountered kind of turned her around. And, you know, she ended up embracing her blackness mm. um, and moving to Harlem and buying up a lot of apartment buildings in Harlem and renting them to blacks and kind of helped turn, you know, Harlem black. Um, and, you know, the end of her life is kind of a mystery. Nobody knows what happened to her. Uh, some people say she actually went to Paris and kind of disappeared. But she's a really fascinating person. And, you know, I can't really do her justice in just a couple minutes, but... I encourage folks to look into her story. She's really, really interesting person. No, I, it, it interesting is one word for it. It's an amazing story, um, particularly her her flipping Harlem uh, and helping helping to flip Harlem, I should say, uh, to make it what it became. Of course, as you know, these days Harlem is gentrifying like nobody's business. So it ain't it ain't it ain't the Harlem that it used to be. It ain't the Harlem that she helped flip. Uh, and yet uh, the 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 history uh, in that in that. Uh, uh, in that area of New York, <clears throat> Manhattan, <clears throat> is is amazing. And to know that a black woman was involved at the early stages of flipping Harlem uh, to become, again, what we celebrate it as, uh, is, is quite amazing. So I mentioned uh, Mary Ellen Pleasant, who used her gold rush wealth to further the cause of abolitionist John Brown. We just talked about Hannah Elias, the mistress of a New York City millionaire who used uh, the land that her lover gave her and the money that she received to help build an empire in Harlem. Of course, we started by mentioning Madam C.J. Walker, who most of us know, uh, who earned the nickname as America's first female black millionaire. But there's a fascinating story in this book we don't have time to get into of Annie Turnbull Malone. It turns out that C.J. Walker, Madam C.J. Walker, rather, uh, was an employee of Annie Turnbull Malone who developed the first national brand of hair care products. So you know Madam C.J. Walker, you don't know the person who she actually worked for, named Annie Turnbull Malone. That story's in the book. Uh, the story of O.W. Gurley is in this book. The story of Robert Reed, a church, is in this book. 
Um, a lot of great stories. I uh, don't have time to do justice to all of them. Um, but the book uh, by Shomari Show Wills is called Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires. And as you've heard in this uh, conversation, most of them took that wealth and used it, uh, as uh, as show said earlier, to help build some part of the black infrastructure that we are still maintaining uh, and celebrating even all these years later. And so that that reality uh, is juxtaposed against the reality we discussed yesterday about what it means to get the bag by any means necessary. Uh, I'd rather be on this list with these folk who use their money uh, to do something inside of the black community, but I digress on that point. Show, good to have you on. Thanks for the book. And, uh, man, I, I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Yeah, Tavis, and you were big inspiration for me to go into journalism. So it's an honor to be on, and you know, thanks so much for uh, having me. Oh man, you're kind to say that. I didn't see that coming. Thank you. I don't want to start crying, so I'm, I'm going to let you go. I'll talk to you soon, show. Thank you for your time. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.